What's going on, Lindsay? Gosh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Yeah, not a problem. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah, me too. Me too. You know, uh, I just mentioned this, but I've been on a, a rampage of getting guests on the show here the last like month or so, two months. And out of all the people that I've had, like, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass right now, but like you, you have been on the top of my radar and somebody I'm been the most excited to have on the show. Um, solely because like you killed it in Survivor. Of course, we're going to kind of center a lot of our conversations around the show Survivor and um, and little context here. If you do not know what Survivor is, you've been living under a rock for your whole life, but it's essentially just a, a game show where contestants go out to an island and, you know, try to compete to be the lone survivor on this island. There's a lot more that goes into it. But um, yeah, if you get caught up on Survivor, then come back to this episode um, and that will make more sense to you. But man, Survivor is something we've been we've been watching my whole life. We even get together every week with a friend group and we watch every episode, every season. It's just something that our weeks center around. So when there was a dietitian on the show, someone like you, who's just a badass and just somebody who I was rooting so hard for, uh, it was just a no brainer for me to like reach out to you and, and try and get you on here. So with all that being said, that's why I've, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. And it's going to be a little bit of a different flow than maybe my, my normal structure when I have another guest on. So long word vomit, but I really appreciate you and your time and everything that you've done on the show, but also in your work in general, since I've been following you. So it was a no brainer to get you on here and uh, I'm happy we're finally making it happen. So with all that being said, before we jump into things, do your little intro and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for that. That makes me feel so good. Um, because as much as some people are like, Oh, do you really want to keep talking about survivor? I'm like, yeah, it's my happy place. I'll talk about this till I'm blue in the face. I'm always going to enjoy it because like you, I've also been watching it my whole life. I've been wanting to be on that show my entire life. So to finally have that happen, it's just exciting to just talk about in a real point of view rather than, oh, if I was on, this would be so great. Um, but yeah, so I am a registered dietitian. I have a weird backstory where since I was 12 years old, I've known I wanted to do that, which I know is really lame for a 12 year old, but it really came about in the sense of, I love food. I love everything about food. I love how it tastes. I love the different ways to eat it. I also was really into health. And I noticed even at a young age, which, so I am 32. So I kind of was throughout the whole nineties, skinny diet, don't do this kind of craze. So even at a young age, you just hear about it. You're surrounded by it. Your parents are doing Weight Watchers, things like that. So I was familiar with it. And I, even back then I was like, there are so many ways to love what you eat and be healthy at the same time. Like, I just really want to help people learn that rather than feeling you either enjoy your food, but you have to cut your ears off of what you have, or you don't enjoy your food to live a long life. I really wanted to marry the two and help people have a healthy relationship with food. And at the same time, I've been an athlete my whole life. I love sports. I was active. So that kind of played a role in it too. So kind of that really pivoted really quickly into my career. Um, didn't expect to own my own business, but it kind of just happened alongside of me in this career. And I absolutely love it. I really enjoy getting to have some say in the platform that I have and what I want to teach others. Um, the fact that I got to make it on Survivor, I have to thank being a business owner because that was probably one of the things that got them interested. Like, oh, 26-year-old becoming an entrepreneur helped me get on. That was great. Now having some eyes on me helps me have a larger platform that I feel I can really speak to what I believe and 
what I want others to really learn and have a better relationship with food. So now here I am owning my own business, trying to chuck through and learn more things, um, having multiple hats, but all with so much joy and love. So I'm so excited to see where else I go. But so that's where I am now. That's awesome. I didn't know any of that. And uh, yeah, the fact that you were two, 12 years old, that I hear that right, that you knew you wanted to be an RD. That's insane to me. I've never heard anyone it's say so that. Weird. Yeah, that's insane. That's uh, it's cool, though. <laughs> I didn't even know what an RD was until I was like 20. So it was uh, <laughs> that's, to be that's fair, amazing. even though I knew since I was 12, it wasn't until I think sophomore or junior year of college that I found out that there's an internship to apply to that once you graduate from college, you're not just like immediately there. I was like, what? There's more to this? I was like, really should have looked into that. Not that it mattered, but it was just really late that I realized the rest of the process. Um, but yeah, here we are. I love it. Yeah. And that uh, that buy-in sounds like it happened a lot quicker. So it's just like, yep, internship, whatever. Just another- Guess that's what I got to do. Here we are. It is what it is. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, it's funny you mentioned up that, yeah, Survivor, you've been watching it your whole life. And uh I'm always curious from like a casting standpoint, like what they're looking for. Cause like the diversity on that show is like just next level, especially over the last, like, like five seasons, I'd say, in my opinion, there's just somebody, so many people different or from different walks of life that I just really admire. And you kind of throw it all of them together. It's just, it's so, so amazing how that can just kind of be a microcosm of like modern day and what people right. are struggling with and going through. But putting that, you know, on film and, and having people talk about their stories. Like, I just think it does so many good things for the viewer and, and for us as a country, just to kind of like, I think they do their part in like trying to bring people closer together and to, to help us appreciate that there's people different than us that fuck man, they're more like us than not in a lot of cases. Yeah. And I like that they did that because it is a microcosm of society. So it's important to represent that correctly and appropriately, because I think even though some of us might have always known this, I think it's really being like more light is being shed on it now of how influential social media and TV and all of that is. So knowing how influential it is, it's really important to represent it the right way to present the right message for the millions of people watching. Yeah. And I, I think Survivor does a really good job kind of like, uh, from like the application process, at least from what the viewer sees of how they get to the people, how they arrive on that with exception to this last season of like two people, like wanting to leave within the first, you know, two days of the show. Like I imagine going through that whole process, only wanting to leave on day two a survivor. Jeff Prost is probably like, fuck you, dude, you know? So uh, I they, they told us that they spend majority of their money for budgeting for the show on casting. Cause they're like, yeah. you make the show. So exactly. they do go through a lot of layers of things to, filter people out. They do a whole um, psych eval. Like it's like a four hour psych test that they do, which if you watch back to earlier seasons, I think it was Russell Hans's nephew when he was on it. And one season he really, like I was worried of the safety of himself and others. And I was like, this is why there's a psych eval to really make sure that in all different aspects, you are safe to yourself and others mentally being able to manage through it. So they do try to filter it that way. I don't know this for a fact, but you can tell there's some sort of puzzle that they put together. They want X amount of these types of people, X amount of these types of people to create a good diversity of different personalities, which creates also good TV in a natural way of seeing people interact who are different than others. Yeah. Yeah. I I vaguely remember that season. I think it was like a blood versus water season or something. But yeah, like just unhinged people, you know, and it's like uh, just like them. It's a learning process. and You get to season 45 or whatever it is it's like, yeah, they've evolved over time, too. But yeah, I just uh, I appreciate the people they bring on the show. 
and not to compare it to like other shows, but even something is like the fucking bachelor or bachelorette or whatever, where you have like a bunch of like lack of better words, just like clout chasers. I'd say just like trying to get more famous or get a, like you said, a better following on social media. It's just, you don't get that vibe, right? You have like the, you know, 60 year old woman and then the 20 year old, you know, college student and everything in between. And yeah, I just think that show does a better job than most, you know, recruiting their, you know, uh, their contestants for the season. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to be sidetracked a lot here, but that's probably going to happen more often than not here today. And I'm here for it, but thank you for sharing your little intro here. I kind of want to transition into somewhat of the show itself and how I've kind of structured this uh, podcast today is I've wanted, I want to talk about things that I observe, things that I see that happen in the show, things that you experienced as well. Talk about that, how, you know, that played out within the show, um, what your observations and your experience was, and then relating that back to the general consumer or the person listening to this podcast and maybe how that scenario can play out in a long-term way within their life kind of thing. So uh, bear with me. I've never done this before, but I'm excited to see how and where it goes. And um, the first type of conversation that I want to have around today and something that we even had off air here even this morning and before hopping on is this whole like weight loss and metabolism type of conversation that really is somewhat obvious on the show, like the amount of weight loss that happens from day one when you see everybody on the island in their respected teams versus final, you know, seven or they even when they make the merge final three everyone just kind of looks like a different person, but there's a lot of weight loss. Even skinny people um, can lose a significant amount of body weight. In addition to maybe maybe the people who are 30, 40, 50 pounds overweight, like there's just a huge transformation process when it, um, at least from what I observe on the show, I'm curious if you noticed that, or if you had that experience where you're like, holy shit, I'm like emaciated at the end of however many days that you've survived for. Um, and just kind of your observations on the whole weight loss thing. And uh, we can kind of talk about the metabolism piece later, but I'm curious what your experience was like. Yeah. So I remember before even going on, well, so before you go on, you do have a moment to speak to the psychologist and um, you have a medical team there that checks you in advance. And I remember asking in the beginning, because one thing that always confused me was, Given I have a background with working with an eating disorder demographic, I understand the risks of when we are not consuming enough food for X amount of period of time, it puts them at higher risk that they need to be monitored for any electrolyte imbalances, things like that. So I specifically asked, how do we have to like monitor our electrolytes and things like that from not eating at all for however many days and then eating a lot of food? And I kind of, granted, these are the psychologists, this wasn't the medical team, but they were like kind of stumped of like, eh. I don't know, like, well, we have med teams to check on you. And uh, so I didn't really get the answer I was asking, but I also knew I was asking from my professional state point of view. But so then I'm like, all right, how many calories in a coconut? Because that's probably all that's here. And it was like 1400 calories. I'm like, all right, if I eat a coconut in a half a day, at least I'm getting calorically what I need, even though it's only fat calories is better than no calories whatsoever. And I have no option of anything else. Then I get there. And I remember saying to my tribe, I was like, do you guys, I'm not here to like, do all these nutrition lectures. I don't want to, you know, bother anybody with it. But if you guys want to have an idea of what to expect, day four and day five are going to feel the worst. And I gave the explanation of the first few days. That's usually when people are dropping the weight the fastest because your body's still going at its regular metabolism rate, burning food, not really paying attention of like, whoa, what's going on? 
Then by day four, day five, you run out of all of your reserves and your body's like, what the F is happening? We're clearly on an island. I need to turn into starvation mode. So it was that transition. And if you watch my season, I think it's like episode two, maybe where Marianne has all this energy is running around. And I'm just like, I'm crashing hard. I had, I would say from my tribe, the worst transition experience compared to the rest of them, I would say by that time. Personally, I would say because the way that I typically eat, my metabolism is going fast. I eat very frequently. I do all the things that, you know, I preach. So I think it was the biggest shock for me, which then I noticed transitioned into my cognitive skills probably around day 11 or 12 when we did the merge. So I knew physically I would not feel well. Um, And then uh, not to like go super lengthy with this, but there were so many different things I experienced on it. Um, so day four, day five, no energy, felt horrible. Then we found breadfruit magically on a tree, which I think there might've only been three left because 41 definitely ate us out of all the food. So for those of you listening, breadfruit is kind of looks like a potato, or I would say is similar to a potato nutritionally, my guess, um, and how it looked. And it was just a carb. So we didn't eat a lot of it, but the second I consumed maybe a cup. I felt like game changer. I had a little bit more life in me. It was manageable because it was also at the same time of the transition that my metabolism completely tanked and slowed down. So I wasn't burning it at nearly as fast as usual, but it was nice just for the brain and feeling like I had some life in me considering we were all dying. Then once we merged and there was multiple people on the Island at one time, I remember they pull you aside for your one-on-one interviews and they're like, all right, Lindsay, so, you know, where are the votes going tonight? And I'm like, all right, well, this and this person's voting here, this person's voting here. Wait a minute. Who is that person voting for? What did we say that was going to be? And I realized I cannot follow, like my brain cannot comprehend what's going on. I will lose. So then when you get your, you know, your tree may only give you a hint of what the challenge is going to be. The next one sounded like it was going to be some sort of food reward sit out. And when watching, I'm always like, never sit out for food. Are you crazy? You always should play. Never be survivor confident. Never avoid an immunity. However, for me, one of my things going into the game was what was my threat level going to be? What was my risk of getting voted out? For me, I was worried of number one, either being too much of a physical threat that people were not going to want to keep me. And then if I had a good relationship with someone and they mistook it for like a romance thing that the they're like, well, if this person has immunity, let's sever off Lindsay. Absolutely not. I'm not having that happen. So I didn't want to have people see what my physical ability was that early on. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? I won't be able to follow this strategy and I will not continue this game if I can't follow along. So honestly, sitting out to eat is significantly more beneficial for my game than playing. Then I see the challenge itself. I feel like I'm in a good place. And the challenge was also something that anybody could do. So why risk people seeing my ability if I have an equal risk of losing. So I sat out, which that was my dietitian point of view for me of a strategy to do. Um, and then on the other end of it, um, my teammate, um, Omer, he, he celebrates Ramadan every year. So he's used to fasting. So for him, cognitively, he was able to manage it significantly longer than I was because his body was already used to having to starve and manage it. So he didn't have as much of a difficult time. But yeah, everyone dropped a lot of weight. But I think everyone drops the most weight in the beginning when your metabolism is the fastest. Then once everyone goes into starvation mode, 
you're just muscle wasting at that point, your body's eating muscle just for the sake of having calories. And that's where the continued weight loss happens. Yeah. Long-winded answer, but there you go. That's my little nugget of being in the Island from that question. Yeah. And we're here for as long as you want to elaborate on any of these questions. Cause I'm, uh, I just find myself sitting here and just like nod my head. And I, I highlighted a couple of things from what you just said. One of them being days four to five are the worst. That's, that was my perception and continues to be watching these shows, especially from the standpoint of like, you're excited as fuck to be there. Like there's all this adrenaline coming. You have to uh, do a lot more like physical labor around cap camp, setting up your tribe, you know, getting all the trees and the wood and it just everything that comes along with building your camp in the very beginning. And then you pair that with the challenges are usually a big team effort, lifting heavy things, pulling things in water, like, you know, uh, using a lot of physical energy within the first two, three days. So that all makes sense to me. Like, Hey, four or five days in, you're not eating at least not even close to what you were eating prior to coming on the show. And then you pair that with people are likely, you know, exercising more, burning more calories than what they were doing at home, even before coming on the show. And it's just like, yeah. And it's just like, it's no, no wonder why you get to that first tribal and you're like, fuck, I don't even know the names of the people on my damn tribe right now or who they're voting for. So yeah, I, that was really good. And the one thing you brought out too, is like how these seasons, right. They're stacked on top of each other. So 41 goes in before you, which I I think you were supposed to be on, but had COVID or something. Correct. I think I remember you saying that. So you got the call to go on 42, which was incredible. Um, but I imagine that, yeah, hey, days after whatever it is, they bring season 42 in. They've had all the breadfruit. They've hunted all the coconuts. Like you're not necessarily playing the game at the same level, maybe um, as the group before you, because they had more access to resources or the ability to like actually eat a little bit more and they collected what they could and they weren't thinking about season 42 coming in, you know, so that I didn't even think about that, but I could imagine that, Hey, day three, four might've been the day that happened a little bit quicker for you guys compared to yeah, day five or six where they had more resources and more energy coming in. Um, but yeah, that, that, that is fascinating. And even, yeah, the challenge stuff, like you had Jonathan, the fucking superhuman on that damn season too. Um, even, you know, someone like himself with this like massive pull-up person that, you know, weighs 240 pounds of solid muscle. It's like, man, even him and, and all these people, man, it's just, uh, it's just fascinating to see how the bodies respond differently. And someone like Omar, you bring up a great point of like, Hey, fasting. And that's part of his culture and just what he does. And, and, you know, he might've had a slight advantage of going, you know, 24, 48 hours of really not eating a whole lot or anything at all compared to someone like you, who's like, I eat 3000 calories a day and I hit my CrossFit and I get my hydration in and I have all my electrolytes when I need to. It's just, yeah, it's a body shock for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, granted everyone's starving 41 and 42, everyone's starving, but at the same time it was, yeah. Um, it's fun and all the adrenaline really helps you out, but that's really what's helping you out. Pure adrenaline. For sure. And we've kind of brought up the word uh, metabolism, even the word starvation mode a little bit here, which I think gets loosely thrown out a lot in like the health and fitness space, especially as we describe like, uh, people's, uh, weight loss efforts or inability to lose weight. But, um, for right now, I'd love to just, and I'll list them out too, and we can kind of just cherry pick what we want to talk about. But when it comes to human metabolism, just a little backstory for the listeners, like there's different components of our metabolism, right? We have our basal metabolic rate, which is what it just takes to keep the lights on every day. If we were just like laying using survivor, for example, on 
the fucking bamboo all day. Like you just having your heart beat and your eyes blink and your digestive system work like that requires calories. And I think that's like 70% or so of what our total daily energy expenditure is, which is what makes up our metabolism. And then we have our thermic effect of food, which is just a fancy way of saying like, it takes energy to burn the food that we are eating. Um, protein being higher than carbs and fats, meaning, Hey, out of hundred calories of protein that you're eating, maybe you're only digesting 80 of those calories because it takes effort and energy to put into that digestive process for you to extract those calories from that. Car or carbs and fats lower, I think is like 5% and then like zero or 1% for fats or something like that. So protein, you know, higher protein diet, you burn more calories, fairly irrelevant for most people, unless you have somebody that's eating a super low protein diet, and then they go to eating a higher protein diet, they're going to maybe see some differences, but for the average person, that's probably irrelevant for most. Um, and then we have our needs and our eat, which is our non-exercise activity. And then our exercise activity, thermogenesis, which is essentially like the calories that we burn from moving exercise coming from the intentional exercise that we're doing crossfit workouts boot camp classes lifting weights whatever it might be that you're doing for intentional exercise throughout the day running walking peloton um, and then neat is very fascinating to me personally some might throw like daily just walking around and casual stuff in there but things like blinking things like fidgeting your fingers um it's just your body's just natural way to respond to the amount of calories that you are eating so your body will subconsciously increase its need or decrease its need in response to how much food you are eating which for me is what i think happens the most when we get on survivor where you're having a lack of energy coming in, at least compared to what you're doing before, your body is going to subconsciously reduce the amount of energy output that it is, you know, having on a daily basis in order to preserve or like we used, you know, go into the survival mode because you're not going to keep producing this energy output without that energy coming in. So that's a long-winded way of just reviewing the kind of human metabolism, those different inputs. Do you agree with that kind of thought where it's like, Hey, maybe our needs, you know, our exercise activity is going up, but our need is coming down. Our skeletal muscle mass is coming down. Our lean body mass is coming down. Like those, a lot of times that I've perceived are likely the reasons why weight loss happens very quickly and what your body is doing to respond to that. Curious if you have that same perception and, and kind of what you were thinking of when you were out there and even coming off of the show. Um, yeah, I mean, it's super loaded question. There's a lot to put into it. Okay. I would say like. Um, when I think of people who struggle with weight loss, I am mostly thinking about how long have they been having poor habits that is mimicking starvation mode for so long. So people who do all these different diets who in one way or another on purpose or by accident are giving the body the feedback that they are on an island and they are starving, even if they're not, their body is going to compensate accordingly. So what might happen when I explain to somebody like, you know, we're not eating enough calories and they're like, I don't really understand, or I don't really see the big deal in the way we see it on survivor. And the way that I try to explain it for people is it's as if you lost your job, you lose your job. You're not making any money. Your home is the most valuable, but that's the last thing you're going to sell. You're going to need that to have somewhere to live. So you're going to start selling your furniture and stuff. You're going to not fix the AC unit or the heater. You're not going to fix the sink. So you're living life not as ideal, but at least you're in a home. Similarly to War on Survivor, okay, my body's making sure I can do A, B, and C, 
But am I going to have you be able to thoroughly think about all the 20 zillion options there are for strategy or the fact that this puzzle might be double sided? No. So you start noticing your narrow vision of what you can comprehend because your brain is now obligated to work at a lower capacity because your body's like, yeah, I can't spend that money there. I would love to, but I'm broke. So I need to use it on just them breathing, their heart working, them walking around and doing the bare minimum. So I would, if that kind of answers what you're saying, I would say that's how I explain it to people, that that's really what is happening if we're not fueling ourselves the right way, which is loaded. There's a lot to be there. If it was that simple, I wouldn't have a job. You wouldn't have a job. Everyone would be perfect, but no one is. So it's about figuring out when people put those two together, that like, there's a lot more to this than what we might think. Yeah. And I love that analogy too. I've never heard that one before, but it's, it's damn true, you know, and that's where you see, man, at least, you know, in a population that I work with, I've worked with some bodybuilders and people, and you see people going through those extreme experiences, eating disorders, maybe for people in your position too, people have like chronically under eight, but the physical changes that happen, of course, like you visibly see weight loss happen. You visibly see people's like, you know, clavicles and their, you know, face structure and, um, you know, losing more muscle on their arms or whatever it is. But also things like, um, you know, lower sex drive are the first to go. Like hormonally, things get fucked up. Um, yeah. Decreased heart rate, lower immunity, lower body temperature. A lot, a lot of physiological changes that do happen when you chronically restrict. Now, the conversation would be different for somebody who's on a game show where somebody is, you know, monitoring you, but not super well. Like they're just letting you do your thing. And if you have a heat stroke or pass out, of course, they're going to like come and help you. Like I just think of a uh, Caleb in that season where like four people left on a stretcher that season is so crazy. Hot. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Like you're asking your body to do all these things and it's just, you know, you're asking it to do things that you don't have the energy input for, right. Or you're not getting right. the resources to do. So that's where you see things like you know, confusion or lack of connecting the dots with things, or even most recently Austin, right? Like not knowing that the fucking puzzle was two-sided, something that you struggled with too. Right. And, um, just appreciating the fact that like, Hey, our bare necessities, our body, like keeping the lights on in there is your body's main focus. And it doesn't really give a shit about everything else that you're asking it to do, you know? And, uh, I think that applies to a lot of people, honestly, outside of this show. Um, Maybe in extreme situations like extreme dieters that yeah are competing for a bodybuilding show, whatever it is. Also more so in like the eating disorder community, disordered eating pattern community. Um, very scary, very real, very prominent area of nutrition, especially today with all like the fear mongering and people scaring the shit out of people and um, just like the body dysmorphia and all this like desire to fit this mold of what a man or a woman should look like. And that's starting at... 12, 13, 14 years old, right? Like there's so many inputs, but um, yeah, this is a long response to your answer, but it's just, those are very extreme scenarios, but they are very real scenarios and they're very relevant, especially from someone like you who works in that space and works with that population. But even for the general pop people too, right? Like yo-yo dieters who have been dieting their whole life, eat the 1,000, 1,200 calories. They do the meal replacement shakes or the, the you know juice detoxes, or they just literally just cut out all food and don't eat for a period of time, or they fast for seven days straight. Like there's a lot of scenarios that, you know, people intentionally put themselves into quote unquote, this like starvation mode, maybe that, uh, um, they're kind of like 
inflicting on themselves, but your body doesn't know that we have in and out or, or pizza down the street. We could literally Uber eats and get it within 30 minutes, you know? So when you do get those things, when you do eat more calories, eventually it's just kind of this weird binge restrict cycle that can really fuck a lot of people up in the long run. Yeah. And just to touch on that, um, quickly is what a lot of people, when I hope everyone listening really, really takes this in is given the way that people talk about food and weight loss and body composition and all these things, you're missing the biggest point. Food is for the body to survive and function. We can't forget that. Everyone's so focused on the visual, not on what's internally going on. So that is the most delicate balance that people negate or they don't know because this is not part of their forte. And no one is teaching them that in the general view of social media, TV, all this stuff, because like you said on the show before, it makes a lot of money. If you can figure out a way for somebody to look how they want to look in a very short period of time, you're going to make a lot of money. And newsflash, they're making so much money. And America is one of the most unhealthiest countries in the world. But no one wants to put two and two together that that is part of that concept. So for those that are focusing on, oh, this quick fix, I explain it to people like this isn't like a trendy haircut where you can shave half your head off. And if you don't like it, it could grow back. It's fine. No, you're damaging vital organs. So people who do these body compositions for long periods of time or do all these extreme diets like in or these extreme high protein scenarios for that 30 years down the road, they all have kidney failure. They all have liver failure. Like there is significant risk. It's just not right away. Like I know better than to put baby oil on myself and go tan because it'll cause skin cancer. Not tomorrow. I'll look great. I'll look super tan, but we all know that that will cause cancer. So you have to use that same concept when it comes to food. You might look great now, but down the road, you're going to have significant organ failure. So people just need to conceptualize the body same way as we learned with other things. I just think it's going to take some more time. So the louder I can be, the louder you can be, the louder all of us can be to really spread that message, I think is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, like these are the messages that don't sell super well, right? Which is- No, no one wants to hear it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like you said, I think the more conversations around it, the more exposure to that the more we can just get people on the same page of like looking at this as like a long-term life long pursuit instead of this, like comparing myself to 26 days on survivor, Lindsay lost, you know, 20 pounds or 15 pounds. Like, Oh, cool. I'm just going to like starve myself for the month and I'll be able to lose weight. And that's going to make me happy. When in reality, it's like, man, it's just kind of feeds into that stop start cycle, that binge restrict cycle, that chronic, you know, you know, try and lose weight versus saying, fuck it, not thinking about it at all for a few months, stretch at a time. Like those are usually the things that I see people struggle with the most is this, like, got to get it done within a 30 day stretch. Um, on the last podcast episode I had, we brought up this like biggest loser culture that even I, Mm -hmm. I, I remember watching with my parents as a kid, but shows like that and magazines and all these things that like can fuck us up psychologically and just really change our expectations and, and how realistic a lot of these things, you know, tend to happen. So, um, it's nobody's fault in my opinion, um, more so than like lack of awareness, you know, just seeing and maybe not critically thinking to a certain extent and, and just kind of going with the flow or doing what their mom did or hearing what their friends are doing and not challenging some of these things that, you know, to us might be obvious, but are really part of the problem as a whole as well. Yeah, I completely agree. No one is, and I say that all the time, like there, no one's properly educated. You learn the food groups in like fifth grade and then you're on your own doing your thing. Like there's nothing else being taught to you of how to feed yourself. And that's why one of the things I really teach 
people and all my clients is understanding how the body works to take away that like all these cravings have nothing to do that like you have lack of self-control or um, anything like that. It's the body's response. So once people understand how the body works and how we need to treat it, it takes a lot of that self-guilt and blame away and helps understand why restriction will always lead to binging. Like if we prevent, even if we avoid consuming foods that we enjoy, like you said on your last one, like your meal looks great, but you don't have what you want. I say to them, like when people are craving something that's out of the box, my thought is you're not enjoying your foods. We need to find enjoyment in it because that's part of it. So I do feel that once people really have the appropriate balance of everything, cravings go down, it's more easy to sustain it. And then they really understand the bigger picture rather than just, ah, eh, it's fine. So anyone who's like a very all or nothing, I'm like, well, that's unfortunate. We're going to work in the gray. I'm not going to allow you to keep the all or nothing because we're setting you up to fail that way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just to kind of maybe tie this point home, I don't want to spend the whole podcast on this little one, this ep- or this uh, metabolism weight loss conversation. But I think that is oftentimes the most relevant to a lot of people that I work with, people that come to me, like looking better, losing weight, uh, body recomposition. Like that's usually a goal. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but if that's the but you know, the only thing that you care about, like you're saying, like, Hey, maybe we're going to challenge that. And we're going to look at this as like a long-term plan. And we're going to appreciate all the other different inputs that go into this instead of just doing it, whatever we can at all costs to lose X amount of weight before X, you know, whatever holiday events or summer vacation or whatever it might be. But when it comes to people losing weight and the clientele that you work with, and we've talked about this before, what are some of the challenges that you see when you have someone that's like, Hey, Lindsay, you know, I'm, I'm looking to lose weight. I'm not losing it. I'm reporting this amount of calories. Like, where do we go from there? What is, what is kind of a normal path that you would take to kind of help? Um, like you said, build awareness, learn about the fundamentals of some of these things, understand what's going on with their body and then make changes from that. Like, where would you start with someone like that? So great question. So I go with, having them follow all the basic things that we know that the body needs to do to remove any other variables, make sure they're drinking enough water, make sure they're eating enough food, frequency throughout the day, balance of foods, all of those things. Then sometimes I do get stumped where they're like, it's just not working. So I have to dig in a little more on one end. Unfortunately, I have to admit this. Some people are not truthful, which is frustrating when I'm just here to help. I'm not here to judge, but I also understand why people might kind of put that close to the test, the chest. Cause they're like, I don't want to blame myself. So there is a little bit of that. Um, but then also sometimes it's, they might just be poor historians. So then I'm like, you know what, can you just send me pictures of what your meal looks like? And then I'm like, Oh, that's totally not two cups of vegetables. I a hundred percent understand where the misunderstanding was. So sometimes seeing what their foods are when I'm really stumped helps me really visualize what's going on. I'm like, no, that totally looks good. So I don't really know what's going on there. Um, sometimes I might have them record a week just again to get better history data of what's going on or, all right, are their hormones out of whack? How's their sleep? Are they sleeping enough? Are they not? Let's look at your blood work. When's the last time you got blood work done? Is your thyroid working well? Is it not? So sometimes the lack of weight loss isn't always about the food. It could be something else going on. So what I can do on my end is hit all of my bases from my realm. And if nothing falls into my realm of it, then I'm like, okay, we need to look outward. So is there a GI issue? Are we not absorbing nutrients well? Are we having leaky gut? Are we having a thyroid issue or things like that? So it's just what else could be going on that can be affecting that? And also stress is a bitch. 
stress is a bitch. And a lot of people are not putting enough emphasis on this, but life is fucking stressful. The older we get, the more stressful it is, the more pressure there is, especially in America. Like I love the countries that they have a siesta in the, in the middle of the day. I would love that. The ones that can, Italy, they all take a month off in the summer. Who does that? So it's just a different lifestyle. I remember I was in, I think we were in Portugal somewhere and we had to wake up early to get ready for a tour or something and nothing was open. And some people are getting antsy, like nothing's open at 6 a.m. They're like, no, we open at nine because people sleep in, they wake up. Not everything has to be like, Right now, forever, everyone has to have it exactly when they want it. Here it is, because it's all about money and all that. But that changes the pace that we're assumed to be in. No one turns their phone off and ends work at five anymore. It's always all the time. So I would say stress is another big factor. So all of those said, that's how I would tackle someone where I'm struggling to figure out what's really going on. Yeah, that's awesome. And I I can't help but like smile and laugh a little bit because the culture that we kind of live in is like, yeah, like you said, phones always on, emails always being answered, always doing something is like productivity mindset that people constantly find themselves in white knuckling everything. And uh, I just, I laugh because we have someone like you or even myself, I had the opportunity where it's like, Hey, I have a crazy, you know, business I'm starting. I'm stressed about all these things. My clients, my version of taking a month off is to go to arguably the most stressful type of environment that you could even put yourself in from a not eating, you know, exerting so much energy. Also like being social and, and, and navigating the social play, of you know, like it's, it's insane. Cause stress is probably one of the, um, biggest experiences that I think people have on that show. And, and, you know, addition to the not eating enough, not all these things, but like, you being stressed the fuck out and your cortisol constantly being spiked and always like thinking somebody talking about me, like, and you just pair all those things together. It's a perfect storm for people to like lose their fucking minds on this show, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not random that some of those things happen. Um, what's interesting though. And I have to say, which generally you speaking, you were hundred percent correct. I think it might've been a mix of things, but I have to tell you, I was probably the least stressed in my entire life being on that show. Because of just the day-to-day stressors, like they put you in this bubble where they remove your phone from you for the entire time. Even if you get voted out and you're on the jury, you're hanging out there until everyone leaves on the last day. So you have no contact at all. So you don't have to worry about food shopping. You don't have to worry about any emails. Literally all you're focusing on is the game. And I remember I had all these like aches and pains and issues like at the gym that I had to like modify some things and I had to do all these stretches. And I'm like, how am I going to do this on the show without people knowing I have an injury? And I have to tell you, I didn't have one acre pain the whole time I was out there. Granted, I'm not doing CrossFit or anything like that, but I don't, I'm still trying to figure out if it was the fact of there was no stress because now coming back home, having my phone was the most difficult transition ever because of that immediate need that that caused a lot of stress for me. But also I think being in nature and being grounded, like barefoot in the ground 24 seven, like really how where we're meant to be living. Like when someone's like, go and take a walk of fresh air and people just feel better being outside. That's our home. We were born. That was our home. So now that we're ex- a, uh, removed from that, I think that plays a role in it too. But yeah, other than that, generally speaking, I would say that that would be stressful. But after COVID, I was plugged in and ready to be sociable after so long of not. So, but that's also my wheelhouse for someone who has social anxiety. Oh yeah, that's very stressful. Yeah. I mean, the whole game is stressful, but in a fun way, If you depending on how you choose to view it when you're out there. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up. Cause yeah, that's not even something that crossed my mind too. The fact that like, Hey, yeah, you go into this environment that is stressful. Um, but there's a lot of things that we don't see as the viewer and like the amount of time that we see throughout the day is probably 10% than what you actually experience out there and putting your you know feet in the sand, swimming in the water, uh, just like 
being connected without phones, without like all these responsibilities at work or even with your family at, at some level. And again, I think there's something to be said, knowing that that's temporary. I think if, if you were out there on an Island and you didn't know when you were going to get to come back home, it'd be a very different response, but Hey, knowing this is a controlled environment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, I think that's, that makes total sense to me, but yeah, that, like stress is something that we cannot ignore. And yeah, I'd argue that's one of the biggest inputs to like decision-making and, you know, how we treat ourselves and emotionally eating. Um, also what we choose to do when we do eat, um, how much we eat. Like there's a lot of things that can happen when you don't manage your stress or when you choose to cope with stress with food, for example, or, or even exercising and, and overdoing exercise in some populations, right? Like having that only be your form of like therapy or meditation. Like, I think that can be taken to an extreme sometimes too, but yeah, stress is a, it's a fascinating things. And it, there's a lot of like physiological changes that can happen within that, but uh, it's, it's amazing because everybody deals with that at some level. It is hard because it's not measurable. So people can't measure, oh, how much stress do I have? Like, oh, it's probably not so bad. So that makes it hard for people to conceptualize and work on managing because you, again, you cannot get a blood work and see where your stress level is yeah. until you look at your cortisol levels. Then you can see some. Exactly. Yep. Cool. 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 Love that. Yeah. Leave it to us for 45, 50 minutes of already just talking about one of the topics that I had, but I love that. I think there's a lot of, sorry, I warned you. That. No, I know. And I, <laughs> that I, I like that. That. that's what I'm here for. I want to talk about one more thing, nutrition related before we move on to some of the other things that I, I think are a little more fun stuff that I've noticed yeah. that I want to get your intake on, but this whole idea of macronutrients and the different roles that they have within the body. Do you mind just like doing a little spark note of like, Hey, what are the macros? What do they do within the body? And I'll ask you a follow-up question as it pertains to you on the show. And we can kind of wrap that up before we go into the next one. Yeah. So macronutrients are carbs, fat, and protein. Every single food falls into those three categories. Can't go anywhere else. All of them are important, but they're all different. So I like to tell people it's like your car tires, your brakes, and your steering wheel. You need all of them. You keep like, ah, screw the tires. Give me more brakes. That car's not going anywhere. There's a certain amount of each thing that you need to function properly, and one cannot do the job of the other. So it's very, very important to make sure you are consuming the right range amount of carb, fat, and protein in order for your body to function properly without having all those medical risks that I mentioned earlier. Love it. And as it pertains to the show, I mean, when you get a lack of resources from all three of those macros, you alluded to, Hey, there's coconuts or whatever things that you might find scrounging around camp that could be a good fat source, something that you could lean on depending on if you win rice or not within like the first week of this type, new type of like survivor, um, like not getting enough carbs, like that is a very real battle. Um, but from your standpoint, what did you notice in the beginning that maybe, and again, it's, it's hard because there's so many confounding variables here, but when it came to how you felt, you mentioned four or five days in, do you think it was a combination of all three of those things, lack of coming in? And, um, when it comes to like reward challenges, was there something going on in your mind of like, I'm looking for this. If it's an option over the other thing, obviously you're going to pick whatever you can get at some level, but what was your mind thinking about when you came, you know, to some of these challenges where maybe there was a choice or what you were looking for compared to what was available to you, if that makes sense. Oh, I'm going to get so nerdy with this answer because I have, I totally was thinking so dietitian when I was out there, I fed myself as much as possible the day before we left, which no one else was doing. And I'm like, idiots. I'm going to fuel myself like crazy. But so in the beginning, I mean, like there's just no food at all. Like you're having like 500 calories or less. It's impossible. At one point I did try to eat. 
I definitely think I had maybe half a coconut one day and I felt really sick. I didn't feel well at all. And I think it was because fat takes a long time to break down and my body had no energy to do that. So I felt really sick and full for a decent amount of time. And I'm like, okay, I can't just OD on coconut for calories. Like I was hoping I would, or I'm going to really have to space it out. Which you realize when you're out there, you don't really have the time to space it out. Like you think, because you have to be around people for strategy. You have to get firewood. So you can't plan your meals and snacks, quote unquote, out there like you would like to. Um, but when it comes to reward challenges, 100% carbs and fat, high calorie all day, every day is what you want. But they'll do like, oh, do you want something, you know, some lean protein and veggies? Hell no. That's not, what's that going to do for me? It's like 150 calories total you're giving me. And for what? I'm muscle wasting anyway. Okay, great. Here's some of that. But my brain has nothing. Like my body has nothing. So carbs have your body run. That's how your organs function. That's what your brain needs because it's an organ, but also fat is your brain is made up of fat. So it requires fat in order to function cognitively with how you need. So carbs, fat, high calories are really the most important thing that you would need, which is what I was aiming for. So when, uh, I had a reward challenge where we had pizza and it was like pizza soda and they gave us chips and then we got to sleep overnight. And I remember like asking like, do I have the food till tomorrow? Like, are you guys getting rid of food now? Like I was trying to strategize and luckily I was able to have the food until the morning of. So I knew that the pizza was going to be really filling. Chips are carbon fat, but I can easily eat through that and not feel full. So what I'm going to do is once I'm done with all the pizza, I'm going to go ham on chips as long as I possibly can that night and the following morning just to get easy calories in. Because carbs are not, I mean, uh, chips are not filling, but full of carbs and fat. So it was an easy way for me to get extra calories in without feeling so full and force feeding myself. So that was a strategy I did personally for myself. Yeah. And yeah, I love that you brought that all up because um, it kind of goes against maybe what you might think. Yeah. As a consumer, it's like, oh, you know, we've talked about how oh, you're losing a ton of muscle mass and, you know, you're not getting a ton of calories. And in, in general, we talk about the importance of fruits and vegetables and fiber and all of these really important nutrients and stuff that can come from those foods. And again, like you're not going to say, no, I'm not going to eat this sponsored meal from Outback with the steak and the veggies and some mashed potato. Like, I'm not going to eat the steak and the, like, of course you're going to eat that. Like, that's not really what we're saying here, but given the choice and given your thought process, I appreciate you sharing that because fats and carbs are the things that will take you a little bit further, maybe last a little bit more and have a greater input to what you might need to do the next day or the preceding day, especially as you accumulate ideally wins of, you know, challenges and being fed a little bit more. Like that's where you see some of these huge advantages come into play here, especially as you get later into the season, but things like what peanut butter, and you mentioned like the pizza and chips, right? Uh, you didn't get to experience it, but this last season, the uh, auction that they brought back, which was super cool. I forget the name of the person, uh, Kendra or something. It was like, I want the beer and I want the pretzels. It's like, I probably would have sold out for that maybe in the first one as well, knowing like, hey, what I'm looking for, what might be presented or things like even like chocolate cake or the bowl of candy, like some of those like really quick hitting 
carb sources that you can eat a lot of that doesn't take a ton of time to digest that is going to give you more energy and just more bang for your buck later on in the evening, later on in the day or the week. Yeah, it's just a, it kind of seems like a counterintuitive way to approach it, but I'm happy you use those scenarios. So I didn't know what you were going to say, but thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think it comes to the difference between a dietitian who understands what macros do what for the body and what everyone perceives as the healthier choice, better choice. But once you know how the body function, it's like you need to survive right now. That's the main goal. So it's getting the most calories in with the best version of macros to get you there. Um, so when I even said that to Jeff, because there was an option, it was either the chicken and the veggies or cookies and cakes. And Omer picked that. And I was like, that was a smarter choice. He's like, really? And then I like gave my spiel, which they didn't show that part on TV because no one else wants to hear about it. But um, he was like, oh yeah. I'm like, yeah, that was the smart choice. I'm happy that he picked that. I probably would whisper to him. I'm like, you should pick that. That's a better choice. So from the outside in, you wouldn't think so. But when you have this nitty gritty info, you're like, okay, now I get it. Hell yeah. Cool. Love that. Well, let's... uh. Let's put a stop on some of the nutrition talk, sort of say. I think we hit a lot of things. Again, I gave you a mile-long list of stuff that I thought we might talk about. I think we hit a lot of it. So thank you for all of that. The next thing I kind of want to transition to is this concept of being adaptable. And you can take that whatever you want, right? There's so many ways that we need to be adaptable in our day-to-day life, especially on the show. But give me your definition of like what that means to you, this word of being adaptable your perception of maybe how you thought you were going to play going into the season. This is a very loaded question, of course. So just take it with whatever you want, but um, how that ended up playing out and just uh, kind of everything that comes along with you hearing the word adaptable, because I think that is a very relevant word to something like survivor as we're talking about today. Yeah. So being adaptable, I think of that as figuring out whatever way, like being resourceful of what's the best way to get to the goal that you're achieving. So for me, I'm very, very goal oriented. So I don't really care about the process to get there if I know that ultimately I'm going to achieve my goal. So to be rigid thinking of this is the only way I want to do it. Well, are you definitely going to achieve your goal? If the answer is no, then is that really what you're aiming for? Or you just want to be in the way you want to do it? Is that really your goal rather than the goal itself? So me being adaptable and understanding that the game moves around a lot. There's a lot of variables. You can't plan it how you want to plan it. Like once you just accept that that's not how it's going to be, then you can start putting together all of the options that are around and then be creative in how can you use that in your favor to achieve the goal that you want. So you have to be open-minded. You can't be rigid. Otherwise, you're putting yourself in this little section that is most likely not going to pertain to you. So you have to be open to the fact that you don't know exactly how you're going to get there. You need to be creative in the moment, but remember what your end goal purpose really is. Yeah, I love that. And I think uh, I just, again, I think it's so relatable to people's situations as I sit here today, whether it's, you know, somebody wanting to lose weight. Like if we think of all these outcome goals that someone might come to you and I to work for or just setting on their own and setting out to accomplish that weight loss being a lot of maybe those goals, body recomposition, setting a PR in the gym, like doing really well in a CrossFit competition, um, whatever performance goals you might have, like all of these goal setting exercises, I think are important. And I think can like keep, keep people in the game. But if someone sits there and thinks that I have to follow this plan perfectly, to get to here, or they think that in order to, to get to this thing, I need to do this, you know, to a T perfectly, don't miss anything. Um, I think that could be a really detrimental headspace to be in. And I see that play out at least on survivor where some people come into the game and they're like, 
this is how I'm going to play. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to do all these things. And then before you know it, they get blindsided or, you know, they have their personality or they lose a partner that they were really close with. And then they're the next one to get picked off because they, they weren't able to adapt and like connect or talk and, and work their way out of the hole that they found themselves in. Um, you see that play out a lot, but I also see it play out a ton in just normal day-to-day life, right? People being super rigid, super, um, you know, um, maybe like just trying Black to and white with everything. Exactly. This all or nothing mentality, man, that's the thing that keeps people stuck in the same fucking hamster wheel for their whole life, you know? So I'm happy you brought that up because that's kind of what I've perceived comes from the show and just seeing what I, you know, what I do with uh, my clients day to day. Yeah. I say all the time too. I'm like the all or nothing mentality, the black and white thinking is not going to get you the goal that you want. Like I said, it's going to set you up to fail because you're only planning a perfect day. How long is it going to take you to realize that no day is ever going as planned? The second you figure that out and you realize you can't plan a perfect day, I tell my clients, like, it's how well can you adapt to the environment you're in to stay the course that you're looking for? So it's, you have to be adaptable to be successful because nothing goes as planned. Life is not like that. Um, So it's that harsh reality, but it's also kind of freeing because then you realize that you might not know everything of what's going to be going your way, but it's about just being cognizant and aware. And it kind of just helps you become a better version of yourself in all aspects. Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea of just um, being a little bit more neutral with a lot of things. uh, And again, coming back to this word of being adaptable, like we're not saying to just sit here and like throw all your plans out the window and to say that what you're doing, like, isn't going to get you to where you want to be. Like there at some level, you have to commit and trust that what you're doing and maybe the coach that you're working with and the plan that they have you on, even though you're not where you want to be yet, that you are going to get to where you want to be or closer at least to where you want to be. There's some element of, yeah, sticking to the plan, showing up when you don't want to doing shit when things are hard. Um, but you also have to pick and choose and and be aware of like, hey, is this thing working or not working? And do I need to pivot? Or um, even using Survivor again as an example of like, should I go with this person or should I stick with the majority here? Or should I do some of these other things that might make me, you know, um, safe for the next one or two votes or whatever it is? Because it's life is very unpredictable. Survivor is very un- unpredictable. Survivor is just cool because we get to see it happen on a day-to-day basis at some level compared to people that, hey, maybe week to week, month to month, year to year, God forbid, we talk about years taking, you know, to reach your body or performance goals or whatever it is. But like, that's the reality that we're living in. But Survivor is such a expedited process of that, that I, I just can't help but like think of that as I'm watching some of these people's stories unfold, you know? Yeah. And what the biggest piece that like really plays into survivor or real life and clients that we have is like, you're also dealing with humans. It's very complex. You have emotions, you have other things. So if someone wants to reach their goal, but like one, is it sustainable? Two, is that really your goal? Or do we learn that your goal is to live a stress, less, like less stress life, more enjoyable, better relationship with food, better relationship with yourself. You might think that your goal is to achieve this specific thing, but then when we really dig into it, it's really just being happier in a way that's less effort. So some people have their own version of to achieve that goal, which I then I'm like, why are we doing this? This is like a lot more work than needed. Like there's such an easier way to approach this that's more successful, more realistic and more sustainable, which is really everyone's goal. No one wants to have like, oh, 2019 was a great year for me. 2020 was a terrible year. Like you don't want to have those giant shifts. But with Survivor 2, you go in with this idea, this is how I'm going to play. Like you're thinking of chess 
forgetting these are people. And then when you watch it, they're like, no one understands unless you're here a hundred percent. You are really dealing with the complexities of emotions, bonds, relationships. And that is what's so cool about Survivor is because it is a game involving people. So every season, every person's strategy might have to be different because one year, the jury might be very much respected of who played the game the best. You could have another year where the jury's very personal and they do not take it for game and can separate personal from gameplay. So you have to work with the people you were given to manage. So you have to adapt because you don't know how those people are going to feel. You need their votes. You need to figure out how they're going to vote for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't help but think of something that you brought up of this idea of even challenging what you know, what it is that you're working towards right now. And again, survivor, cool, being sole survivor, winning a million dollars, that's in the back of probably everybody's minds at some level, like might be the impetus for people to apply to the show. But man, I think a lot of people apply just for the experience and the journey and the people they meet and and doing something that is outside of their comfort zone. Like there's a lot of elements that go into you wanting to do something, um, which I find that maybe those people do a little bit better sometimes than the people who are super rigid, super black and white, super like money, like only, you know, exiles the emotional side of things and only plays, you know, logically like, dude, you hurt someone's feelings and you get blindsided the next day. Like that's your own fault because you weren't adaptable and you didn't really pick up on some of these social cues that were required to get you to the merge or required to get you to final four to make fire or whatever the case might be. So, um, Long way of saying, like, I think we all need to sit, take a step back and challenge some of the goals and some of the things that we think are important to us. Because if you've never done that and you've always just been chasing this image or this body weight or this goal, like, and you've never challenged why you want that or how that's come into, you know, uh, <laughs> come into your life and have never called that into question, man, you might be chasing this thing that even if you did get that, you might not be fulfilled or you might not be happy. And, you know, getting to a place where you're living in a body that you enjoy while also living a lifestyle that you enjoy too is so fucking important. And a lot of people make that very mutually exclusive at some level of like sacrificing yeah. their life, their quality of life, what they enjoy for an end goal. Um, or they aren't working towards any goals at all. And they're just choosing pleasure over everything all the time. And yeah, like you said, that gray area is where most people would benefit from being from. And I think that's just such a powerful message that I can't say enough in, on this podcast. And that's what I caught at age 12. That exact thing you're saying is Wild. exactly what I noticed back then. And my whole purpose was that doesn't need to be the only two options. You can absolutely marry the two if you can open your mind to want to listen to it. And I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of times with my profession, my struggle is like I'm unbrainwashing people more than anything else. I'm the myth buster having to unbrainwash all the damage that was done for however many years, which is it's it's hard. I understand. But it's it's frustrating when like my goal, I just want to help you. I want to just give you things that work. I'm not here to bamboozle you and have a private vendetta. Like I'm guiding you in a safe, correct way, but it's not easy to just trust somebody without building that trust. So rapport is really important and having that social understanding, empathy, compassion for where people stem from, I think also helps survivor and personal both. Yep. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. I, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. We're already over the hour. I know you said you might have some time left. Do you want to do one more topic of conversation before we do a little rapid fire Q and a, or do you have an extra 10, 15 minutes here? I'm good. Go for it. Okay, cool. 
the uh good i love it this is kind of an accessory question but uh yeah maybe me just thinking about things too much which i find myself doing a lot but it's okay we're going to talk about it anyway and it's this uh concept of the power of suggestion and i'm going to mm-hmm. i'm going to kind of lay a foundation here and then i'll ask you a question or let you build on maybe what i'm talking about or take it in a direction that maybe you think of when you hear kind of those words together but as a coach, as a fitness professional, as, as somebody that works with human beings, this whole power of suggestion is something that's come, man, it's just become a lot more obvious to me as you know, the deeper I've gotten to this like health and fitness coaching kind of mentality. And to me, what I think of when it comes to the power of suggestion is like how powerful the human brain is and how our thoughts influence our perceived output or um, how much effort we could give towards something. And more often than not, and I'm not going to like say different sexes are better or worse in certain things, but especially with females too, um, I find that I'll relate this to like lifting and working out and stuff, but man, a lot of times people have this perception that they can't lift as much as maybe they think they can, right. Or they, uh, they don't know, or they've never done that. So they're not going to try it in the first place. And that's what takes them out of the arena before they even try something. And Um, this whole concept of like exploring and actually doing the things that you are capable of is fascinating to me. And I see it play out a fuck ton when it comes to survivor, especially as you get later into the season, when there's individual immunity on the line and there's all these really kind of fucked up challenges that are yes, physical, but a lot of it is, you know, mental willpower, honestly, and people pushing past their breaking points. And that's when you see, you know, somebody, uh, even like this season where we have the oldest lady in the group on the show, you know, sticking with the more physical, you know, higher physically threat people out there holding on to a pole or, you know, doing some of these really incredibly hard challenges. But a lot of it comes to how long can you hold on and embrace this discomfort for and keep pushing past those limiting beliefs that a lot of us have when it comes to our you know, our, for sure, our physical workout limits, but also our relationships, also our work and our professional life and overcoming imposter syndrome. Like it's just, it's something that I notice a fuck ton on these shows. And for, you know, for me, I even not even saying I saw that with you, but I, I saw someone who was already physically strong, be pushed like a motherfucker on the show compared to somebody who doesn't work out, doesn't take their nutrition, you know, um, super seriously, who is more sedentary, who is very successful in their work career, but isn't super explorative with the other side of things. And all these different people's different people can just, man, they can present in so many different ways. And that's what I think sometimes is a difference maker. Again, in addition to not eating enough and being, you know, stressed out or weak and not feeling super great. Of course, those play into it, but man, like when you get this deep into the season, you know, making it through these physical challenges, doing these really uncomfortable things, man, you see a lot of growth happen within a person when they're put in those positions and you got Jeff Probst singing in your fucking ear saying, keep pushing, you know? Um, so that's a very long winded way of just some observations that I've seen. I'm curious if you have any additional input on that, how that played out in your survivor career and just like what you've taken from survivor and implemented that into your clients or your own personal life. Yeah. Um, I love this topic. Um, I think the power of suggestion and kind of like even just manifesting things I find to be very, very helpful. Like I knew when I apply, I'm getting on the show. Like I had it in my head. That's what's happening for me. 
personally, I think I was very, very fortunate. I think there's, there's so many layers to this. So I'm just going to say my point of view of this whole thing. Um, I think there's a lot of different things that play into it. For me, I was very fortunate that my family was very encouraging, very supportive. So I always had that kind of like, you can do it as long as you try your best. Like that's, what's great. And just try your best. So having that encouragement from a young age was really helpful to remove any sort of self-doubt. But also my family has said to me, and I don't know where this comes from, but for me specifically, like I, one, I'm extremely competitive. Um, that's something I just love. It's very fun. So therefore, because of that, I'm going to push myself further than somebody else might for the sake of the goal. Also, I had a lot of self-confidence. I mean, in some regard, everyone has their own insecurities, but to play, be the only girl playing football at nine years old to 15, those are really delicate years, especially for a female. Um, and like, adolescence and puberty and all of that. So it was tough, but I was like, this is what I want to play. I want to play it. And I had a lot of players, a lot of parents even kind of heckle me, which was like really fucked up. Like, oh my God, look, there's a girl. Like I'm not at a zoo and I hear you. Like what, what is happening right now? So that was always annoying, but it didn't stop me from being like, well, now I'm just going to run your fucking son over because that pissed me off. And I'm going to lay my shoulder out and watch him be fumble on the sidelines. So it gave me more drive in the game. I mean, I always saw as I'm watching it and like, again, as a competitor, it's like, you literally have to work your hardest. Like, this is not the time to like bail out and quit. Like this is for a million dollars. So when I'm playing and I'm doing a challenge, my thought is this is literally this effort right now is worth a million dollars. Every those moment, this is a million dollars on the line right now. This is not the time to bail out and quit. Like this is put up or shut up kind of moment. So, but I think the other concept of what some people might push farther than others, me, competitive, very goal-oriented. So I'm getting to the goal. I can handle being uncomfortable for my goal. There are some people who are very much struggle with the feeling of being uncomfortable and that is their barrier. So it's pushing through that along with the separate factor of being an athlete my whole life. I'm very in tune with when my body's telling me no. And when my mind is telling me no. So not everybody has that background understanding of like, ow, 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 you're injuring yourself versus like, this is muscle endurance burning through. You can keep going. So having that separation is easy for me to know when to quit and when to keep pushing. So that background is helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, like be my one quote that I really, really love is be comfortable with being uncomfortable because uncomfortability, I think, is everyone's really biggest barrier. And if you can push through that, dude, you have anything you want. Just keep pushing and don't give up on yourself is really how I feel on that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for all that. And I just found myself nodding to literally every word you just said. But uh, it, of course, I, I'm happy that you bring up the individuality that comes with this as well. Like, you know, Lindsay, who's playing football at nine years old and beating the shit out of, you know, boys her age. Like, yeah, of course, she's going to have a different experience and mindset and just like approach coming into something like Survivor than maybe somebody like Omar, you know, who was on your team compared to whoever else was on that season. Like everyone's going to have their own, you know, a kind of path that got them to there. And that's the cool thing about Survivor is it's going to challenge the Lindsay who is doing all of those things even before the show versus somebody who's never been in that position. And uh, it challenged them almost equally at some level because it still comes down to being uncomfortable, being okay with that, pushing past the point that you think is your breaking point. 
And then usually on the other side of that is where a lot of really cool things happen. And, and at least for me, even hearing some of the outros and some of the people who get voted off and um, even listening to podcasts of people who have, you know, got out of the shows, like I didn't win a million dollars, but I've gained so much appreciation and knowledge and um, just perspective on what it means to live and, and what it means to push farther than what I think is possible. And usually that other side, when you break through that barrier is when a lot of really cool shit happens. Right. And, and I'm happy you mentioned the fact that like, Hey, you acknowledge that I signed up for survivor. I know I'm going to be hanging on a fucking pole or being drowned in water for a period of time or whatever it might be. Like I signed up for this. That is worth it to me. Like you understand that there were trade-offs before going onto the show and that you're going to be doing things that were really uncomfortable. Right. And I think that's part of this whole like goal setting. And even as we relate this back to normal day-to-day life with normal people, I say normal people, but just like the, you know, the, the average population of like this acknowledgement of like, Hey, the goal that I'm working for is going to require a lot of trade-offs for me to get to that place. And you having the conversation with yourself or with a coach from day one of like, am I willing to make those trade-offs, right? Do I even acknowledge that there are trade-offs to get to where I want to be? And what does it going to look like to me to maintain that? And what are the trade-offs going forward? Like this identity change that can start to happen. And usually what I see is people from the beginning is like a lack of acknowledgement of what those trade-offs are, or they're not even taking into consideration what it takes to get there or what they think it's that it's going to take to get there is half of what it's actually going to do to get there. And, and that to me is sometimes what, you know, derails people and they get week in, a month in. And it's just like not seeing the progress. This sucks. I'm not socially drinking as much as I used to. And I really enjoyed that or whatever the occasion is. Um, just to use an example here. But yeah. those are and the your things goals are that, different. Yeah. Those They're are the things what you thought your goals were because you had a exactly. different vision of what that was going to be to get there. So yep. I didn't cut you off. No, I was like very that. much into what you were saying. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's just uh it's, the things that you're doing have to be worth the outcome, right? And if they're not, then change the outcome or whatever it is that you're looking for. And chances are the things that you do end up doing are going to be more sustainable. They're going to be more realistic. They're going to be uh, more manageable and easier for you to, to um, you know, commit to. And that's going to be the, the difference between you being successful long-term versus you stopping and starting over and over again. I completely agree. Hands down. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's a lot. And I, I think the last thing that I wanted to say, just even relating it back to, and you can maybe share your experience with even CrossFit too. Cause I think I mean, I heard you mention that me, I'm more of a hypertrophy, getting people in the gym, building muscle. Like there's a lot of components to that, of course, but the power of suggestion that I see a lot of times, especially just relating it back to working out is like, um, Hey, you know, we track workouts, we track our weights. We're progressing over time, practicing this progressive overload model. And sure. We're training close to failure. Um, but people get into their program sometimes and it's like, okay, I did 11 reps, 10 reps and nine reps last week of this thing. So I'm going to get 12, 11, 10 this week. And they have those numbers in their mind when in reality, they might be able to do 14, 13 and 12. Um, and I just find that, yeah, there's a lot of things that we could do from like a coaching standpoint, things to ensure that you're continuing to work hard over time. But sometimes that opportunities can still be missed. And I, again, I relate this back to females sometimes too, because chances are those are usually the population that 
underestimates how much they can lift and what they can actually do. And the men on the other side overestimate that and they do shit with shitty form. And that's a whole other conversation. So it's like helping them meet somewhere in the middle is always really important. But um, do you find that even with yourself or even with CrossFit stuff and from an exercise standpoint that that's something that you've seen kind of in your practice as well, or am I just making the shit up? <laughs> no, no, I agree. I, that's why I like with, with clients when I, cause like I have a background in exercise science. My original goal was to de- be a trainer and dietitian. And then as I got into my internship, I was like, yeah, I can't do both. This is so much in one. And then I was like, you know what? It's, I enjoy the background, but I'm fine to like give that off to a trainer. So I stay within my lane. Um, But also at the same time, um, I really kind of go with the fact of like, you know, go to the last three, four where you really struggle. Like, I don't really care about the specific number. So, and I remember when I first started doing CrossFit and I do CrossFit more so just because I enjoy the atmosphere. It's like, I don't play a sport anymore. So it feels active in that way. And I can push myself and I just enjoy working out in that style of like, all right, get this done. And however fast rather like in a more of a sprint fashion. Well, I don't always enjoy exercise of going to retro, bro out, do your thing. Everyone has a different way they enjoy exercise. And I tell that to all my clients, like if you don't enjoy it, it's going to suck. So find a way that you enjoy it. But so for me, when I first started doing CrossFit and I have a coach who doesn't know me, they don't know what I'm capable of. What helped me as a guide. And I would tell my clients, this is like, okay, this workout, you only only should be dropping the weight this many times for this rep. So use your judgment. How heavy does it need to be for you to do X amount of reps in a row before dropping it? If you're going to do a workout, I want the last three reps to be challenging. And then they use that as their gauge to figure out the weight rather than do this weight at this amount of reps. You're removing their ability to use their own judgment of what they're capable of in terms of men and female uh, men and women. I mean, I'm not going to get onto this whole thing about it, but there's obviously a whole like different, um, like not saying being sexist, but there definitely is like a suppression of women of what they are told that they can do and what men are being told what they can do. Everyone listening, throw that fucking shit out the window. You are a person like anybody else. You could do whatever the fuck you want to do. You could be as strong as you want to be. If you are a coach, if you are a trainer, anything, treat them like an athlete as a person, not male or female. That's how I would put it. So I think those social norms that are we're still trying to break through still exist. And depending on the people surrounding you, how they choose to perceive, I had it on Survivor too. This is a topic that's going to be part of my life because in football, I experienced it. Through the fitness world, I experienced it. But for me, I just... I'm too hot, hot, like headstrong of what I know I'm capable of that those people just bother me. And I'm like, now I really want to prove you wrong because no one should think that way. Don't put me down without knowing who I am. So I think breaking through that uncomfortability and unsureness people have, but then bringing it back to having them be in tune with what they feel. And this is what I do with clients too. Like I don't give them calories. I don't have them track macros. I want to go by how full were you? I need you to understand your fullness and your hunger. Were you full for four hours before the next time we were supposed to eat? Or were you hungry an hour and a half in? All right, let's acknowledge that meal and figure out why you weren't full for the appropriate amount of time. Or Lindsay, that meal was so full. I I could easily wait seven hours before dinner. Okay, we're going to adjust. And then I have a better understanding of what your calorie needs, macro needs are, because I have that like specific 
training in it, not you. So with your feedback, I can then tweak. So I think everyone needs to be more in tune with their body and themselves to then be able to gauge where they should be aiming rather than blindly following a plan that is not a cookie cutter. Not everyone's cookie cutter. Oh yeah. Thank you for all that. That was incredible. And uh, yeah, even going back to your points of like, fuck those people and like get that out of your mindset. And like, we're kind of just, we're all running our own race at some level. And uh, I think that's, that's what's the beautiful part about survivor is you kind of see that evolution of people over time. You see the people and I, I keep bringing people up from this season, but someone like D or somebody just killing these crazy, you know, challenges sitting on this pole for however long that they were up there and outlasting everybody else, you know, like those are the damn things that, that I can't help but like feel some type of way or get emotional in the moment watching these shows. Cause man, hearing people talk about their experiences, the limiting beliefs that they might've had prior to coming in the show, a lot of that get, kind of gets thrown out the window when they are test beyond what they think they are capable of. And uh, yeah, it just goes back to this whole power of suggestion of like breaking past what society has laid their expectations on for you, what your expectations you. are. Yeah. yeah. What even yourself, like you all, you, you might not even know yourself and, and going through some of these experiences, doing a really miserable workout, going to, you know, RPE of 10 or zero reps in reserve, going to failure on some of these things. Like you really find out what you're capable of doing. And, and that's the beautiful part about exercise. In my opinion, like if people only exercise just to try and lose weight or change the way they look, I think that they are completely, completely missing the whole point of working out in the first place. And that is the thing that I can just see a lot of, uh, really positive things come from, of course, metabolic changes, a lot of stuff really awesome happens under the hood when you work out, but mentally too, like how powerful that is, how like taking yourself to past this point of comfort and challenging yourself in these ways, man, it just plays out in so many different areas of your life. So yeah, thank you for, for bringing all that up. I couldn't agree more. Thanks. Hell yeah. Cool. I, uh, man, we're, we're doing okay on time hour and a half, almost in, I have a rapid fire question. If you have five minutes, is it going to be like, yes, yeah. questions, just something that I think is fun that we could just finish this show that I'm interested about. I actually asked some questions to some of my followers. Also our group that meets up every week that we watch survivor. I had them give some input on this. So yeah. there's going to be a lot of things answer. However you'd like, yes or no, we can move on. Or if you want to elaborate a little bit, do your thing. But question number one is, are you allowed or do you brush your teeth when you are on the show? No, you're not allowed to brush your teeth. So you have to find a stick or something to scratch your tooth if you really want when you see people do that. But that's your only option if you wish. Cool. Can you bring sunscreen? They do provide you sunscreen. Okay. Sunscreen, uh, bug spray, and hand sanitizer for sanitary reasons. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just a comment on that. Like I, I'm very fair skin. I was in Scottsdale this last weekend. I was in the sun for 14 minutes and my face was already red and I was just... <laughs> I I'm just looking at, I'm like, how are they doing this without like sunscreen or a hat? But yeah, thank you for that. Cause I, uh, I think that's really important actually. Yes. That's very fair. And they need to make sure that they protect you in the most basic form of that, knowing that you have no ability yeah, to protect awesome. yourself. Hell yeah. Where do you go to the bathroom? Is it in the ocean or like, how do you guys take care of business out there? Okay. So if we're not talking about food. We're talking about poop. That's all yep. everyone's talking about the whole time on that Island. So there's aqua dump which means go in the ocean and poop there, um, which not everyone did, but we did in the beginning. And then otherwise, 
you go out and you dig a hole and you poop in it, you cover it, you put a stick on it. And then people know that spot has been taken. So when we did the merge um, and we got a little tour of the island, they're like, and this is our poop graveyard. And you just saw a section with all the sticks. <laughs> and that was just where it was. But no, no shame. But also, like, you're not pooping that much when you're out there because you're not eating as much. But yet yeah, everyone's talking about poop if they're not talking about food. Nice. That's incredible. Hell yeah. What's Ponderosa like after you get voted out? I'm, I'm maybe I'm I, I think I saw that after you get voted out, if you make the merge or wherever it is, everyone stays on the island, I think, for the duration of the show. Right. Or if you get voted yes. out early. Yeah. What's that like? So Tell me about that. If you get voted off pre-merge, um, you end up being in a separate section than the jury people. Um, I personally absolutely loved being a part of the jury because that's like my favorite process of the game. But Ponderosa, I think, take it for how you wish. I think some people might be stir crazy. There's a therapist on site, so you can talk to a therapist however often you want about what you're going through. You then like there's food and alcohol there whenever you want. So if you want to like paddleboard go for it you want to like go in the pool go for it you want to work out there's a gym you want to watch movies like they have a bunch of stuff on this like very private resort i don't know how it normally is because it was during covid like the people who work there were also stranded with us for the whole month so i don't know if it's normally that desolate probably but um but i think i mean i was only i only had like two or three days of ponderosa but I mean, some people just got to hang out and enjoy themselves. Be, everyone's talking about the game 24-7. Like, you're just talking about it. But then you just get to, like, relax and you're not, like, working. You're just relaxing. So I think it's an enjoyable environment to be in. The whole thing is fun. Cool. But if you're not, if you're pre-jury, they usually take you on some sort of, like, vacation for, like, two weeks to really, like, buy the rest of the time. Usually it's Australia. But because of COVID, they just stayed on, in Fiji. Nice. Hell yeah. That's very insightful. I didn't know any of that. So hell yeah. Next one is if is Jeff Probst as cool as he seems on TV? Like it, it, from what you get on the show, does is he actually like that? Is he different? Is he cooler? Like what? He's even cooler. Yeah. He is awesome. He's very more PG. Like he curses all the time. So like you're used to PG death, and I hear him like cursing every other word. I'm like, whoa. But I enjoyed it. And because I mean, I'm from Jersey, so everyone curses a lot out here. It's like an adjective. So I very much thoroughly enjoyed him. He has so much energy. He's just an awesome dude. Like, I wish I could hang out with him, but we literally don't see him other than the the challenges and tribal. We don't get to hang out with him outside of that. I wish because like he's one of my favorite people. I absolutely love Jeff and he's a great person. Hell yeah. I'm so happy you said that. I, I think highly so highly of him. So I think even more so now. So that dude is a man, no question. Yes. What is the bug situation like? And like when they have the, you know, when you watch the show, they zoom in on the spiders and the snakes and all these animal, like, do you actually see those? Are they around camp or is it like not as maybe scary as you think it might be? Um, depending. I mean, there's camera people there all day. So they see like an iguana. Maybe I didn't see the iguana, but like there's spiders everywhere, which is like part of the annoying part with looking for idols, like that there's just spider webs and spiders everywhere, which I hate spiders. So that was annoying. Um, I am very lucky. Bugs don't like me. So I don't really get bit often. So I didn't have to deal with like the daily bug biting me, but other people definitely experienced it. There's some places that are just like, there's ants everywhere. Um, but yeah, no, bugs are there. You're in nature. There's definitely bugs. But because it's an island, it's not as bug infested as if you were like in the middle of the woods, like in Africa, let's say. So you're limited to like sand bugs. Hell yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. 
do all the challenges go as smooth as it seems on TV? And what I mean by that, from like a structural standpoint, do things break? Like, does it, is it, is flow like as you see on the challenges or do you have to like stop sometimes because the fucking structure broke and they have to fix it kind of thing? Does that ever happen? That did happen once. Um, and they're very fair. Like I want to just preface the game is extremely fair. They know money's on the line. It's not like any other reality TV from my experience, both playing and afterwards from people who work there and people who've been on other shows. Survivor has like the highest integrity of reality TV and game than any other reality TV show. If you think about it, Survivor's started reality TV and they really kept that integrity. So they're extremely fair. They're extremely honest. So if there is something, they tell everyone to pause. Everyone has to stop where they are. They fix it and then they resume. Um, sometimes they just go really, really long. But when you watch it and you think like, there's no way it's that close that you're like, both people are that close. No, it really is. It's like very bizarre when you're like, wow, wow. it really is that close. And of course, the person who everyone's going to vote out now wins. Mm -hmm. It is as weird as that is that you're like, how is that happening? But no. Um, otherwise, I would say they do a really good job of running it, it being as smooth as possible with how they can and explaining it in detail of what the rules are. Hell yeah. Awesome. How long is the walk to tribal council? Um, so you go on a boat. Okay. At cool. some point, because yep. it's on different islands. Uh -huh. Um, but you're not allowed to talk while you're on the boat. Like they very much say, like lockdown, like there's no camera, so you cannot talk, but it's you're uh -huh. literally on different islands, so you have to commute that way. But then the actual walk itself isn't super long because you have to go into tents and you go to medical check beforehand and they um kind of get ready for tribal and then they'll give you your torch and then you all walk in a line to walk up so um, yep three minute walk the boat makes walk. sense yep that makes sense just uh, hearing everyone talk about once they get to you know back to the camp and after the voted whoever out like everyone's talking for the first time that all makes sense to me so thank you for that they make you wait till like you get there and the cameras are set and then you could talk so if the cameras aren't there they don't want you talking at all because it removes the gameplay like jeff is like if you're talking about plan a and plan b and then you whisper something no one caught it and you're doing plan c we can't the viewers have no idea how that happens so like we want you to talk about the game just do it when we're there that's your job as being hired as a cast member is the cameras need to watch you talk about things. Cool. Again, cool. integrity to make sure that everything is on film. Love it. Awesome. Last one. How long did it take for you personally to just bounce back after leaving the show um, into normal work life, sleeping, eating your normal food again? Obviously, you know, being in Ponderosa and just getting back, like you kind of get a head start before like, versus if you won it all and then you just leave the island shortly after that. But like personally, like how long did it take for you to like feel like you were a human again coming home? Uh, great question. I'm still not fully bounced back because my stress level went way through the roof when I got home. So I'm still not at my like muscle size that I was before, which I'm still working on getting to. So that really took some time. I would say uh, I didn't get my period the first month I was back. Most of the women on the show didn't the first month. Um, so that was one transition. Um, but I would say my body shifted. You gain weight back really quickly because your body's like, what the fuck? Like we were really underweight. We need to overfeed and like store all the food because you're still kind of in starvation mode. So I would say bounce back weight within like the month or two. But then I knew over time, like it'll dissipate back to where your body wants to be. So for anyone who's like working on recovery and they feel like their body's not going where it needs to be, like relax, it'll all level out when your body feels safe. 
that there's plenty of food around. It's not starving anymore. And then it, your weight will go back to where it needs to be. Oh, I don't really remember. I guess I want to say, because I've been struggling with gaining the weight back for so long, it's hard for me to gauge, but I would say maybe like three or four months, I would say maybe it took to really kind of bounce back where my weight really dissipated back to where it should, but I'm still trying to push back to get that muscle back where I want. Um, I just need to keep eating, 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 yep. eating. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you for all that. And I, I can't let you go without asking just since it's so relevant now we have what well, I think two weeks left until the season finale. Who do you think is going to win? Who do you think the final three is going to be like, what do you, what is your expert uh, Intel on right now? And uh, what do you think is going to happen? If you could guess. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's more so if you're going to let Mama J get to the end, she'll definitely win. Emily has a really great shot of winning too. So it's really more so how, who's going to let them get to the end or who's going to win things. So that is more my hard part. I'm not good at being able to figure out who will win. Um, Cause I think a lot of them have good stories. I don't, uh, there's more things that we don't see, but I would say Drew may have a chance to argue himself. I think Emily and I would love Katora to make it to the end and really enjoy her. So that would be cool. Just a matter of how well does she gain the votes? It all comes down to how well do you play the votes and who's a bitty or who's a bitter juror. So Mama J might make it to the end, but everyone might be really pissed off of how she lied and they might not like her. So it's hard for me to tell, but I would say Emily and Mama J, I think have the highest chance if they make it to the end of winning. But I really would love to see Katara at the end and Drew maybe. Dee and Austin are also great. I would say in terms of more dynamic gameplay of strategy, I would say the others might be able to argue higher than them. But I think all the players that are left are great players. Uh, oh, and then there's Jake. Sorry, Jake. But I think that you will make it to the end. But I don't think that you would win just because I think at this point you lucked out that people really want your vote, but I don't know if you can argue your way to say that you had a better game than the rest. Kind of like Owen from the season before made it to the end, but I don't think he had enough umph to win it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for walking through that thought process. And that's a beautiful part about survivor is like who you would perceive to be maybe a, a front runner to win gets voted out at five or doesn't make it through fire. And I'm, I'm not biased or anything, but I thought you should have won your season as well. But well, thank you. It's taken out. I think what you were fifth or five. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, getting, you know, voted off then, man, it's just, it's amazing how quickly that game can change. But thank you for, um, yeah, thank you for giving that. And honestly, everything else on this episode, I selfishly wanted to do this, but I feel like I could record this and a million other people would really enjoy this conversation too. So um, I really appreciate you blessing me with your time and just spitting all your survivor shit. That's kind of what I came here for in the first place. Yeah, no, this was really fun and I really enjoyed it. I'm so happy that you found me to ask me to come on. So I did preface in advance. I am a talker, so I have a hard time staying within the time limit. So I'm sorry for all of you who were listening who didn't enjoy that, but I thoroughly enjoyed it very much. And like I said, this is my happy place. I love talking survivor and obviously I love talking nutrition because I'm a nerd like that. So having to combo the two win, 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 great way for me to start my day. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Of course. And also you're welcome for the people who made it this far and got to hear an extra 30 minutes or so of Lindsay, you know, talking about everything. So yeah, we could look both ways for sure, but tell the people where they could find you. Um, I'll link everything in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about that, but tell me what's going on, you know, coaching, anything else that you got to, you know, you got going on, you want to promote plug away. Yeah. Um, so, um, you can follow my Instagram. It's 
uh, absolute.nutrition.counseling or my personal Instagram is Lindsay Delash. But you can really find more of the stuff all on my website for my business, which is absolutenutritioncounseling.com or ancnj.com. Um, if anyone is really interested in talking nutrition with like some one-on-one counseling or just wants to have a better relationship with food, I take insurance. Insurance pays for this. So nutrition education is a right you all have, not a luxury expense. So that's really why I make sure to take insurance. So please look to see you paying all this money from insurance. If you get this, whether it's me or another dietitian, find somebody because I think everyone do well with having a dietitian being able to observe what they're doing to make sure we're all doing the right stuff. So and if you just want to say hi and just say that you love Survivor, then you can DM me on Instagram or email me through the website is also great too. Lindsay at absolutenutritioncounseling.com. Love it. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. So enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.